This morning I want to convey only one point to you, um, and that is this. Believe in Jesus and start living. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Believe in Jesus and start living. Believe in Jesus and have heaven opened up and poured out to you. The power of God. Believe in Jesus and receive not just eternal life, but receive that eternal life, that resurrection life now. Believe in Jesus and start living. That's my main point. Today we um, celebrate the resurrection of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus at Easter. We remember that even though Jesus was killed on a Roman cross, that he died and was put into a tomb, that three days later he rose again. He properly rose again. His whole body rose again. In fact, he had a new resurrection body. And there were many witnesses to this resurrection. There were the apostles and the, the disciples, and even Paul the Apostle says up to 500 people saw him. And these people that saw him were so persuaded by what they saw that they started this new movement called uh, the Christian Church that went on to be what it is today. Paul also says that um, this resurrection is the most important thing that we believe as, as Christians. It's a non-negotiable part of our faith. He says that if Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, then our faith is futile. We should just walk away from it. We may as well give it up. But if he did raise from the dead, rise from the dead, then it is of most importance. In fact, it's the turning point in history. We live in a world uh, that fools itself by saying that the turning point in history was actually in the 18th century in Europe and America when uh, thinking around uh, science and psychology and politics and, 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 and the world and uh, all this, this movement called the Enlightenment, most of it, many people in this world think that's the turning point. That is when the world turned a corner that this enlightenment was going to solve the world's problems. But in fact, the enlightenment hasn't solved the world's problems. And the enlightenment, it, it parodies Christianity, this, this kind of new thinking that emerged in the 18th century, because if the resurrection happened, then the enlightenment would be uh, not so important, because the resurrection would be the turning point in history. Author uh, N.T. Wright says it this way, he says, You see, the bodily resurrection of Jesus isn't a take-it-or-leave thing, as though some Christians are welcome to believe it and others are welcome not to believe it. Take it away and the whole picture is totally different. Take it away and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring the problems of the material world. Take it away and Sigmund Freud was probably right to say that Christianity is a, a wish-fulfillment religion. Take it away and... Frederick Nietzsche was probably right to say that Christianity was a religion for wimps, but put it back and you have a faith that can take on the postmodern world that looks to Marx, Freud and Nietzsche as its prophets and you can beat them at their own game with the Eastern news that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The resurrection of Jesus is of utmost importance. It's a difference between him being the son of God and not. It's a difference between hope and hopelessness. It's a difference between you uh, rising from the dead and not rising from the dead. In Jesus' life, before his own resurrection, he taught about this. 
He taught, taught about the resurrection from the dead in general terms, and he also talked about his own resurrection from the dead. And the most, and he did this through words, but also through action. And the most, one of the most clear times he did this was when he rose his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so that's our focus this morning. The reading, which is nice and short, was an excerpt from the Lazarus story. You might have already picked that up. I want to focus on these amazing words that Jesus said, where he foreshadowed what he will do, but also describe something true about himself, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. We heard a few weeks ago that Jesus offers the bread of life, but also that he is the bread of life. And now we hear that Jesus offers resurrection, but he also is the resurrection. The resurrection and the life. So what does this mean? Well, this week we have had the bombings in Belgium, a further reminder of the violence and tensions in our world, the clash of worldviews. We watch and, and read up on the American election and we think, what is going on over there? Those guys are losing it. Uh, we hear Trump and his claims of just wanting to unleash hatred on the other, on, on Muslims or Mexicans or whoever it is, women, carpet-bombing people just to win votes. We read about this South Australian nurse whose body has just been found and possibly she'd been abducted and murdered. We live in a world surrounded by death. We live in a world in desperate need of resurrection life. So what we're going to see is what Jesus means when he talks about resurrection and life. And we see that they do go together, resurrection and life. They're sort of the complementary ideas. It's the ideas that transform people for eternity. And this is going to speak into um, our overall vision statement, which is cultivating life in our neighbourhood. So we say, Mary Creek Anglican, cultivating life in our neighbourhood. What do we mean by life? This is what we mean by life. Let me talk about Lazarus. Jesus uh, saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. He comes from this moment in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a follower of Jesus, a disciple and a friend of Jesus who lived in Bethany and his sisters were Mary and Martha. And they too were followers of Jesus. And the sisters had sent a message to Jesus saying that um, their brother and his friend was gravely ill. But instead of rushing back to Bethany, as you think he might have done, Jesus waits and comes a few days later. He had his own reasons. And when he eventually arrived in Bethany, Lazarus was dead and had already been in his tomb for four days. And Jesus met up with the two sisters, Martha and then Mary. And Martha was grieving over her dead brother, Lazarus. And she looked at Jesus and her eyes said it all. This was a tragedy. He didn't deserve to die. Lazarus was a good brother and friend. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise on the last day. And Mary said, I, I know you will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She might have heard Jesus teach this. And she might have carried this belief over from the teaching of the Pharisees. She might have read in Isaiah 26, 19, which says, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your Jew is like the Jew of the morning. The earth will give birth uh, to her dead. Or she might have read in Daniel 12, verse 2, who prophesied, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake 
some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Martha trusted in this teaching. She trusted in the teaching of Jesus as well. She trusted that her brother would rise to everlasting life. She believed that at one day in the future, at the end of time, that Lazarus, along with all the people of God, would rise again. But actually, it's probably a bit of an abstract idea for her, because I don't know if you're like me, but thinking about the resurrection of my own body and my friend's and my relatives' bodies, who are believers in Jesus, it's a theological concept which I can describe, but to feel it in the gut and really believe it is hard, isn't it? When you're at a funeral or when, when you're faced with a person who's died who you know, it's so hard to embrace that idea as, as really, really true. It seems so remote and so foreign. Death is so foreign, but also resurrection seems so foreign. But that's all she had to cling on to. It was a kind of a vague hope. I think for many of us, our hope for the resurrection of the dead is a bit unsure. N.T. Wright says, again, to quote him again, we've got this book up the back, Surprised by Hope. He says, what we have at the moment isn't, as the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but we have a bit of a vague and fuzzy optimism, optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. But Jesus offers Martha more than this vague hope. Jesus spotted Martha's vague and fuzzy optimism and made her abstract belief real, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's the one who can provide this resurrection that she wants for her brother. He's the one who can provide it. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life apart from Jesus. And don't think Jesus is just this kind of cold-hearted theologian, you know, super spiritual guy who just floats on the cloud and says, I am the resurrection and the life when her brother's dead. He, he was the God-man who can say those things but also feel pain and grief as well. And we see, if you read on in the passage, when he faces Mary, the other sister, Jesus wept. He was grieving too. He was deeply disturbed at what he was experiencing and perhaps deeply disturbed at conversation about the resurrection of the dead too. What, you may be thinking, what are these people thinking about resurrection? What did Jesus mean by saying, I am the resurrection and the life? By resurrection, Jesus was talking about the final resurrection of believers at the last day through Christ, whose power makes it happen. The one who believes in Jesus will come to life, even though they die. So believers can expect to die. We will all die one day. Lazarus had died. But believers in Jesus can expect to one day come back to life. And this is the paradox of the Christian faith, that physical death is not of most importance to us. Most people think of death as the end. But for people who believe in Christ, they may die in the sense that they pass through the door we call physical death, but they will not die in the fuller sense. Death for them is the gateway for further life and fellowship with God. Jesus says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's not saying that the believer will not die physically 
But you know, as I said, Lazarus died as evidence that that wasn't true. That can't be right. Rather, he's saying believers will not die in the sense in which death has eternal significance. And of course, Jesus ultimately displays this when he rises himself on Easter morning. He's the first to rise in that true resurrection sense. And because of that, through faith in him, we can rise too. If I consider, consider for a moment the many Christian friends and relatives who have died that I know, two of my grandparents have died, some of my church friends who have died too, too young, my belief in the resurrection of the dead does give me great hope. It turns a tragedy around to being something that I can, while grieving, still rejoice. The resurrection, it's a personal thing. It speaks hope into our grief, but also changes the way we look forward to death. Last week at at Tom and Naomi's wedding, um, we were at the reception and we were walking towards, you know when you do the big group photo at a wedding reception, we're walking along and um, Tom's grandma comes up to me, who's 95, and she used to live in our street in Kew, so we had met before. And she said, oh, I really liked your wedding. And I liked the other wedding you did of my grandson, as Ben. And uh, I was wondering if you'd do my funeral for me. (laughs) 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 And, um, you know, old people say funny things sometimes, but um, she was deadly serious and shouldn't say deadly serious. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, her, her son, Jeff, Jeff Buchanan, some of you know him, said to me, you know, she's, she's serious. Like, she's not going to die for a long time. Uh, and, you know, he said it like a son who's like, you know, smiling that his mum is 95 and still totally sharp and can, had just cooked a, a meal for all of her children and grandchildren to celebrate her own birthday. You know, she's totally with it. But she's a Christian lady. She goes to a, I think she goes to a, the story was she goes to a uniting church but doesn't like the ministry. She's turned liberal but she's too old to change churches or something funny like that. And so, anyway, I don't need to tell you all that detail. <laughs> the point is, it was a great honour to have been asked, and she has the resurrection hope. Death for her will not be the end, and she's looking forward to being with the Lord Jesus. She's walking, looking forward to walking through that doorway into eternity. Same, same is true for my grandparents when they talk about death, as if it's like going to the hairdresser. That's when you're getting in your mid-90s, you start talking like that. Oh, when we're long gone, you can have my couch, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> like it's like, the same was true for Patty Morgan. If you're new here, you won't know who she is, but she was part of our church. And um, she died uh, after about a year of being at our church and suddenly found out she had cancer. She was in her 70s. And I remember giving her communion on Good Friday and she had a smile on her face. This is Good Friday last year. And we're sitting around in bed and I gave her communion and she had a smile on her face and with the family and we're sharing... And about two days later, she died. You know, she knew that she was going to be with Jesus. She had her resurrection hope. Resurrection. Jesus saying, "I'm the resurrection." It's a personal thing. That is, you know, it's life transforming, and it it is all about your hope and where you where you put your trust. Will you believe? But he also says, I'm the life as well. I'm the resurrection and the life. Is it just a kind of flowery way of saying I'm the resurrection? He's just adding life on that to put the emphasis. I think he's probably, probably not. I think he's actually saying I'm the life as well. 
And the, the, the two ideas do go together. Jesus' spirit works to regenerate human beings who've been rejected out of the Garden of Eden because of our sin, regenerate us so that we can then receive him, receive this resurrection life. We can begin a new life. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, A time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Once Jesus has entered your world, you start living. The German theologian Karl Barth says it this way, I love this, Faith is a history new every morning. I love that. It's like the natural development of a bud into a flower and the natural inclination of this flower towards the sun or to the natural laughter of a child when he beholds something that gives him pleasure. That's all Karl Barth. So Jesus is saying if you believe in him, you will have resurrection life now and also after you die you can immediately possess eternal life. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in a divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This resurrection life you can start living now is living a godly life, one that participates in the divine nature. Your character will start to be transformed to be like God's character. You'll escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. One way to think about it is like um, what, what happens to your sin life once you become a Christian, start living life with Jesus, is that you think about a bit like a pig. A pig's in mud and playing in mud and enjoys the mud but um, being, being a Christian and having the resurrection life is like being a pig who doesn't enjoy playing in the mud anymore. I don't like this mud. And that's what happened to us when we have the resurrection life. Yes, we still sin and we mess up. We don't like it anymore. We want to be clean. We want to be holy in the way that the Lord Jesus is holy. You might think, is it really a good life to be a Christian? Is the resurrection life really good? I mean, I see lots of people who have great lives, they have great families and relationships and career and travel um, and possessions. Resurrection life goes a lot deeper than that. I love, uh, one way it was explained to me when I was a teenager, which I've never forgotten. Think about a bunch of flowers in a vase. You might see a huge bunch uh, with a beautiful green stem of the bells of Ireland and some red chrysanthemums and the smell of English lavender and uh, some cute sky blue forget-me-nots. I love the forget-me-nots. And maybe odd, some yellow freesias in there and um, an orange gerber daisy and a bright pink hydrangea. And they're all sitting there in that big bunch of flowers. You know, and it looks amazing. Smells good, looks good. And they're arranged beautifully in a big glass vase. They might look radiant and alive. They might even smell radiant and alive. But these flowers are dead. They're all cut off from their stems. They're, oh, look, they're, they're able to suck a bit of water and just hang on there by the skin of their teeth, but in a week or so they'll be brown and smell bad. This is essentially what Jesus is saying about people who are not living the resurrection life. They might look alive, but really their time is limited. One day they will die and that will be it. But for those who believe in Jesus, it's like they are flowers that have been 
grafted back onto the stem. Jesus says it another way when he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. When you're plugged into me, then you can start to bear fruit. You can grow the grapes. You can make wine. And don't you love wine? You may as well be plugged into the vine. Imagine a vase of flowers of all those colours and smells that never withers away, but gets more and more glorious with time. That's what it will be like if you believe in Jesus and start living the resurrection, the resurrection life. But don't confuse the illustration. Jesus wasn't suggesting that your body won't waste away and die, but he was saying you will die, but because you have the power of the resurrection life in you, you will rise again. In the twinkling of an eye, your body will be raised. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, you begin to experience the life of the age to come, which cannot be touched by death. When Jesus said this to Martha, he was offering her something for now and for later, a more excellent life. Your outward flesh might be wasting away. You might be feeling sick. You might be getting older, thinking, I'm not like I used to be. You might have spots. Your hair might be falling out. You might be going grey. You might be sick. Your body isn't working as it should. Jesus is saying if, if you believe in him, it doesn't matter. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You could argue that the fact that your body is slowly withering away is actually helping your new life in Jesus. Because as Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 4.16, the inward life of the believer in Jesus is renewed from day to day and death is a kind of final freedom from the burden of sickness and death. When Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? Because this is what he says to her. He's especially asking, do you believe that I, Jesus, can do this to Lazarus and to you and to believers in general? Do you believe in me or do you put your trust in, do you put your trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life? the only person who can grant this, to which Martha said, Yes, Lord. And so how does the story end? In the presence of the crowd of crying friends and relatives, Jesus approached the tomb. And by now Lazarus had been dead for several days and his flesh was rotting and he stunk. And Martha could see that Jesus wanted to have the tomb open. She actually didn't want it to happen because she said, This is going to be awful. Don't do this. But they rolled the stone away anyway and Jesus said a prayer. And he called Lazarus out, and Lazarus stood up in his grave clothes and walked out of the tomb. And they removed the grave clothes and let him go. And the story ends with the statement that many believers, many people turned and believed in him. And some reported this story to the religious authorities. And the miracle spread around. And the next time Lazarus pops up in the, in the Gospels, in the Gospel narrative, it's because um, the chief priests were considering having him put to death because they didn't like him as an evidence of Jesus' power wandering around. They thought this was a threat to them. And eventually Lazarus does go on to die because his resurrection body isn't like Jesus' resurrection body because Jesus is more like he's come back to life, like you know, Jesus has done CPR, although he didn't, he just did a prayer. His body's revived in a sense. But... This was pointing to an even better miracle, the miracle that we celebrate on Easter Day. 
the miracle that occurred when God raised Jesus from the grave. Little did the chief priests realise how the world would change forever when the world found out about that. So this Easter, believe in Jesus and start living.